Hello, happy Friday, Friday. Yay. We were uh, out of town last weekend at uh, my, my grandparents' 70th wedding anniversary. It was super fun to have all the family get together and just see cousins and great cousins. I don't know what they are. Several, several times out. removed cousins. Second cousin, three times removed. <laughs> you know, where some of you need to wear name badges because there's just so many people. But anyway, it was a really great time. And uh, thank you if you listened into our broadcast. Anyway, last week, um, just a reminder that we would love you guys' input and feedback. If there's specific questions, I know many of you have reached out to me personally on Facebook Messenger, just asking questions. And I've done some Zoom calls with people just talking through family stuff. So just know that we're out there if you want to if you want to ask questions or, you know, please chime in on our live here. One more quick item of business before we jump into today's talk, and that is that you can find us at on our website at www.thehomemadefamily.com. You can find us on YouTube. Just search for The Homemade Family Kingdom Insights, or you can find us on uh, podcasts, anywhere they do podcasts, search for Insight Now and then look for the Kingdom Family Talks. Yes. And that would be like us. and subscribe and comment and share. Yes. And of course, you can find us on Facebook, our Facebook pages, those kinds of things, too. So, yes. Amen. Um, we're jumping in today. It's kind of funny because we were struggling a little bit with the name for today's topic. And at first we called it the evolution of family. And Nathaniel's going to jump in with that here in just a moment. But then I thought, well, the second half of our talk is really called um, Rediscovering the Blessing of Being a Parent. So that's what I called it because that sounds a little better than the evolution of family. But then as I was thinking, I was like, really, this should be... <laughs> parenting in today's culture. So I don't know if you guys have ever been to another nation, um, but before Nathaniel and I were married, I traveled a lot. I went to India, to Tanzania, to Costa Rica, several times to Mexico, all over in different places there. And then we've even been to places since we've been married, uh, like Ireland and Germany and England. And <laughs> anyway, so when you go to another culture, when you travel to another nation, you are all of a sudden hit with something called culture shock. Bam. <laughs> Bam. Because you don't realize how much of your life is just, you know, you're used to everything that's around you and how everything works in your country. And, you know, everybody around you has the same expectation that you have about things, you know, even how we catch a bus or a taxi or, you know, even some of us are like buses and taxis. What are we talking about? Right. Because that would be a thing from another culture. What food we eat, whether we have silverware, the idea that a bathroom has a toilet and a sink and running water and is, isn't just a hole in the ground way out back. <laughs> you know, there's things about our culture that we just have expectation of. Yeah. And family is actually one of those things that we have expectation of. And it's not necessarily always right. Um, just because it's the way that things are done around us doesn't necessarily mean that that's how they should be done. And we can learn things from other people, other cultures, and especially the word of God. Yes. So Nathaniel, why don't you give us a timeline of family and kind of the evolution of family and how we ended up with where we today. are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I just want to say quick what we mean by like what you sh what family should be 
Um, really what we mean is what actually is most healthy. You know, there's a lot of things that you can get by with. There's a lot of things that actually do lead to brokenness. And, um, and um, I don't know, I'm not going to get too far down that road right now. So I'm just going to jump into the, I'm just going to jump into the timeline of family. I know, sorry. Stick to the notes, stick to the stick notes. To the notes. <laughs> I'm like a huge global big picture guy. So, um, so we have talked in a number of times in recent weeks on this show about parenting from the garden and God's design from the beginning for family and all of that kind of thing. And of course, that's where the timeline starts. And I'm not going to stay there long. So if you've been hearing us in previous weeks, like, don't worry, I'm not going to stay here for very long. I'm not going to repeat what we've said in the past weeks. But in the garden, God's commission to Adam and Eve was be fruitful multiply, fill the earth, rule it and subdue it, you know? And so it was cultivate this garden and then expand the garden. That was the whole commission on family from the beginning. And um, then you fast forward a lot of years in the biblical timeline, you get to the flood. And after the flood, Noah and his family come off the ark and God actually says the same thing to them all over again. He tells them, be fruitful and multiply. And he blesses them towards that again. And they receive basically the same commission. Now, what's interesting then is in the genealogies after the flood, you see names of nations among the people and among the men that are listed in these genealogies. You see Egypt, you see um, Canaan, you see the, the, peop the people of the Jebusites and Amalekites and Ammonites and all of these these people who grew into nations, they started with a man. You, you learn about the man who founded Babylon. You learn about the man who founded Assyria. And, and all of this started with a person. But the mindset towards family was that, um, was that sons become nations, children's become nations. And, and you can imagine if that's your mindset towards your towards your child is this is a nation and they're going to grow into a great people. That's going to change the way that you think about them and the way you parent them. Right. And so, um, fast forward, um, through the millennia, most of that time period until just very recently, I mean, very, very recently, children have been an asset to families financially because the more, uh, because most, uh, most people lived out in the country. They had agricultural economies. And so the more people you have in your family, the more hands you have to help on the farm. More, more hands to help means more crops to grow, means more income. And, uh, and all of that. So, so kids were an asset. Well, then comes about 150, 170 years ago, you've got the Industrial Revolution. And everything becomes mechanized and great inventions come around. Well, now the machines can do a heck of a lot more work than all the people you could have possibly have as your kids. And so now um, your kid, you still have the same number of kids, but you only have to pay for them. And, and I, I realize that this is a very cold way of looking at it, but hang on with me because you'll realize it's probably more a part of um, our culture's way of thinking about kids than, you, than any of us would like to admit. Um, but... All of a sudden now we've got 10 kids in the family because you know those families had big, they, they were big families. And they, you got 10 kids, well, that's 10 mouths to feed. And 
And now, uh, not just are, is the industrial revolution eating up uh, crops and, and farms and, and land and things like that, but a lot of people are working in families and in, in factories and whatever else. It's like, so, so now really, truly having a big family makes things harder instead of easier. And, um, and so kids become a liability instead of an asset. Then in this timeline of history, then in American history and Western history, you have in the, the mid 1910s, around 1914 to 1919, you've got World War I, where a huge number of young father aged kids, young men go off into war and they're gone, they're absent. Um, then right on the heels of that, you've got a, a little bit of a break, but then you've got the Great Depression. At the height of the Great Depression, the unemployment rate in America was 28%. And, uh, and so then of the people who even did have jobs, a huge number of those got jobs wherever they could find them. So they'd go to the other side of the country and they're separated from family, but they're working a job. Um, or they're working a job, but they're sending their kids somewhere else to wherever they could keep them fed and clothed and sheltered and alive. And so you had tons of breaking down of what the family actually is. People removed from fathers and the example of what fatherhood looks like. Then right on the, I mean, literally right after World War, right after that is World War II, where again, you have massive numbers of the, the, the male population being removed from home, shipped overseas, and coming back oftentimes damaged, um, just like they had been from World War I. So now you've had, from 1914 to 1945, you've had all these years, and only 10 of those years were without war and without depression. There's a ton of trauma. There's a ton of absent fathers. There's a ton of, uh, like... You've now had a generation and a half raised, not having any idea what normal family even looks like. Um, no wonder then out of that, you've got sexual revolution. You've got uh, the anti-authority revolution, shaking your hand, your fist at government and at family values and at church structure and at anything that's uh, that's authority. Um, you have a revolution of women in the workforce which some of that's good, some of it's not. Um, I'm not going to get into that today. We can have that, hash that out in comments. Um, you've got the Korean War, the Vietnam War, more, more men gone um, and traumatized. You've got, like I said, the anti-authority movement. You, all of this takes you all the way into the 80s where now Amy and I remember this growing up. You had the latchkey kids. Um, and the latch, I mean, I remember seeing commercials about latchkey kids on TV and the sense of this was like grieving to me, even though I was not one of them. <laughs> um, but people who came home to an empty home and had no parental involvement and guidance until evening time. And, um, and all of this culminates, okay? Like the, the, here's the bottom line. If that all just confused you, you can take away this. The bottom line is we have now had over a hundred years of disrupted and traumatized family experience in America. In other words, we have no idea what real parenting looks like because we are now in our third generation of kids who are being raised more by friends, teachers, 
and media and daycare providers, kind of lump them in with teachers, but friends, teachers, and media than they are by parents. They're spending more time with friends, media, and parents and teachers than they are with their parents. Yeah, a lot of that though, I mean, honestly, it's not really like, oh, the parents' fault. Like you're just right. I mean, this is what we've grown up with, you know. Well, I don't know. You you raise kids until they're three, send them into preschool and then kindergarten, you're like, oh yes, it's a big milestone. The kids are finally gone. I can go work my job, you know, or you know, or I even just that at 18, they're gonna leave. So so we, it's just so good to recognize that just because it's how things are done doesn't necessarily mean it's how things should be done. Right. And it really helps when we step back and analyze each of these things and the effect that it's had on family. And then, you know, so it, it, honestly, it helps us move a little bit with compassion and mercy towards our own selves. Right. <laughs> you know, many of us grew up with working parents coming home to an empty house. And, you know, we sat on the phones with our friends. We'd run around doing things like we didn't we didn't know either. And they didn't know because this has just been the slow and gradual, like you put the frog in the pot and start yeah. heating it up. And until you see the fruit going on in society today. Yeah. Um, of what's happening that we begin to go, where did this go wrong? Right. And how do we fix this? What right. is the standard? What do we go back to? And then how do we find joy in that? Because truly, when we fight for family, we are living countercultural. I'm just going to share one more story from um, being on a mission trip in Africa and sitting around with this beautiful newlywed family and they were talking about their parents arranging the marriage and how she she was actually a fairer skinned African woman. So his dad had to pay more cows for her <laughs> than he would have for somebody else. But we were we were actually talking about having children and how many children they were having. And I mean, I think I was pretty young at the time and I'm just like, well, in America, um, if we're not ready for kids, we just don't have them. And they they were like, what? Like, how do you not have children? And I'm like, you don't even realize that the medical technologies that we have today of taking a birth control pill, you know, and, and delaying and that we choose to have children when we're ready to have children. And when we're done having children, we have medical procedures to stop having children. And for them, that was a revolutionary thought. And, and honestly, I was a little bit like, wow, you guys are really behind the times here. <laughs> but honestly, is that God's best? Yeah. That's where we're wondering, like, okay, we have these things that are just ingrained in us, that these are good, that these are right, that these are the thing to do, that these are the, the most economically wise. Yeah. Are they the God wise? Anyway, so it, it just is really fun to see when you stop and look back at culture and the effect on family, that can give us the pause to ask the questions. Yeah. So And, and so the effect that we see in this process is what we see in culture and what we're hearing in the dominant teachings on parenting in culture right now is that we basically think uh, that being a parent is being a glorified friend. It, it really, it's fulfilling all the same roles, play with your kids, encourage your kids, cheerlead your kids, uh, champion your kids. Like those are all things that we expect friends to do, right? Right. Like this, that's being a good friend. Um, 
there is nothing in there of actually like teaching your kids, training your kids, disciplining your kids, raising your kids. Um, it's like it, being a parent means being a friend and providing for them. And that's it. Like, but the reason we think that that's what parenting looks like is because we are now the third generation that was parented by peers, not by parents. And so we were raised by friends. So now we think that that's what parenting looks like. Um, yeah. Um, so we've kind of dissected and looked at now, like, okay, here's culture. This is where family is. And then we're going to go back and look at the joy of parenting. Cause I of think actual parenting. Yeah. I mean, I think our culture really is that parenting isn't a joy. It's weight, it's stress, it's economic. I mean, I even had somebody tell me that children were like parasites that suck the life out of you. And I know Legit. that that's, that's actual a, story. <laughs> actual story. And I know that that's a common mindset. And so when we say like, let's rediscover the blessing of being a parent, let's rediscover yes. the joy of being a parent. We're going to go back and look at some of the culture shifts that we need to make in our minds, in our hearts, in our life um, to rediscover that joy. So Nathaniel, yes. I think I will have you share that part. <laughs> All right. So uh, one of the things that is part of this culture um, is, is that it's that we're in is that it's very individualistic. So you pursue your dreams your kids pursue their dreams. Part of your job as a parent is to support their dreams, um, even to the degree that now it's like, well, if they decide that they're a man or if they decide that they're a woman or if they or decide that they're a dog, <laughs> then you just affirm their choices and you just be encouraging and affirming that they can be whatever they want to be, um, even if... <laughs> It's not actually rooted in any kind of reality. We're not really on um, point. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, we're not really. Yeah, we might be, but we might we're, be. we're trying not to be. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so it, it in this individualistic thought process, then my kids are getting in the way of my dreams. My kids are getting in the way of how I'd like to be spending my time. My kids are just, they're in the way. Even the, the classic Christmas carol that's like talking about... Um, and mom and dad are can hardly wait for school to start again. And now we see pictures every time, every September and kids are going off to school and there's mom and dad waving like they're so sad. And then as soon as the kids are on the bus, they're pulling out wine and cheering each other because like they're actually really happy to get rid of their kids. And we make jokes about this, but it's like, again, kids are a liability. They're in the way and life is really about me. <laughs> and, um, um, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like if that's I, you, if that's you like, I please forgive I me. It. I get it, man, whatever. Just, but just, wouldn't it be amazing if you were like actually sad that your kids left or that you would truly grieve them when you get a break? Like, Oh, I do this all the time. We like go away somewhere and I'm like, man, the kids would love to be here, you know, and I miss them. I wish that they were here having the yeah. experience anyway. So how do we make that shift in yeah. our heart? Is so, that <laughs> so Malachi four, five and six um says that this that god's going to pour out the spirit of elijah on the earth and it's going to cause the the hearts of fathers to turn to their children and the hearts of children to turn to their fathers in other words it's going to come completely opposite 
to this individualistic, you're in my way mindset towards generations where I'm pursuing my thing, you're pursuing your thing. And of course, we're in opposition to each other. But the spirit of Elijah turning the hearts of fathers to their children says, no, I actually want to raise you up. I want to be connected to you. I want to champion you. I want to be tied to you and the hearts of children to their fathers. And it's the same thing. I want to receive from you. I want to honor you. I want to stand on your shoulders. I want to build on your foundation. And this, this attitude of connection means I actually do lay down my life for you and you actually do lay down your life for me. And we both work together to build something that's bigger than either of us individually. We build something that is, first of all, connected to God and his mission on this earth. But second of all, we build a family. Yeah, I'm just going to throw in a, a couple of pieces there. Um, one is that the book of Acts, which is repeating Joel, is that at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it says that old, man, old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions and or maybe it's the other way around but it connects this where there's a man with a dream but he's not building it's going to take the next generation to share you know or the one with the vision to complete that old man's dream and it's like there's more in each and every one of our hearts than we can ever complete in our own season and so it's going to take that next generation and connecting our vision and our dream with their hearts and their vision to be able to accomplish the things that the Lord has put in us. The other thing that I would love to challenge us with, I know not everybody who listens to this is in a charismatic stream, but there's a lot of people out there today calling themselves prophets. And I would say that anywhere that there is a prophetic culture, that, that this spirit of Elijah is is hovering is going to be a, a culture where we're actually working to restore the generational blessing that loving loving the fathers or loving the kids loving the fathers and creating this two-way street of honor yeah. for each other mm -hmm. and i mean just today i i had somebody asking the question like my kids are bickering and honestly they have no honor for authority and I'm like, oh, that just grieves my heart when I hear this, because it means that we haven't taught kids how to honor and they can't receive the blessing if they don't right. know how to honor. And so honestly, that should grieve our hearts that our children aren't going to receive the fullness of the inheritance and blessing that the Lord has taught them if they don't learn to honor their father and mother. And even for us as kids who grew up without those parents or maybe not even amazing parents, that if we don't choose to honor this generation that went before us, then we too are not going to inherit the blessing that should be ours. In fact, we went to this 70 year reunion with or uh, wedding anniversary with my grandparents. And we actually went to my grandma and grandpa and we got down on our knees in front of them. And we just asked them, we said, would you pray a blessing over us? Because they, you know, my grandpa's 92, my grandma's 87, and she's starting to deal with dementia. Their health is on the downward slope. And it's like, there is a, a blessing in their life an yeah. inheritance that they have worked for in raising seven kids. There's five generations. They have how many great grandkids, great, great grandkids, even now five great, great grandkids that they're on getting the to see and another on the way. And, um, and we just didn't want to see that pass away. And so we 
asked him to pray over us. And he did. And he said, do you know, nobody has ever asked me for that blessing before. <laughs> and I was like, wow, but here we are turning our hearts to that generation to, to not let his vision, their vision for their family to pass away when they do, right. but to carry that to the next generation. Right. So, and, and part of the vision of this is like, we see a great, a great picture of this in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had one son, Isaac had two, Jacob had 12. You see another pattern in David and Solomon and what could have been, but David spent his life preparing to hand an inheritance off to Solomon. Solomon received it from him, but then had no, he lost wisdom. He lost the generational picture and he ended up making his life about his vision instead of instead of something else. And so it fell flat in that case. Um, and then again, later you have Elijah who passes on to Elisha who receives a double portion. And then Elisha, it's like Elisha is looking for somebody to hand off the spiritual inheritance to. And, and his servant's name means Valley of the Visionaries. Like if there was ever a guy named to be a prophet, it's got to be that guy. But he didn't have the character to receive it. Every time Elisha tries handing it off, he keeps failing these, these character tests. And he ends up dying with the grace of God still on his body to such a powerful degree that sometime later, a man is being buried uh, near his tomb and a raid from a, a neighboring nation comes in and begins raiding. So the, the people digging the man's grave just chuck him into Elisha's grave, save time. The, the dead body hits Elisha's bones and he immediately comes back to life. Like that anointing was meant to be passed on to somebody else where it would have multiplied. And, and this is the heartbreaking thing of living individualistically is every generation has to start over because we're all living our own American dream. But how beautiful and powerful could it be if I don't live for myself? I will tie myself to a previous generation's dream, ask God to give me vision to know how to achieve it, and I build on what they started. Then I raise up my kids to do the same thing with me. And generation after generation, we actually build something that grows. And, and, and so the, the heart of this is we get to receive a heritage from past generations. We get to receive a momentum of God's blessings that we then build into, and we get to pass on something so much greater to future generations. Mm -hmm. They don't have to start over. Yeah. And what if we could build things in our life, like businesses or ministries or things where we can actually raise our kids up and put each of them into a position within that they're not having to start over with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt going to college, but rather it's like, hey, I'm going to take over my parents' business. I'm going to move into this position to help them. And then we get to actually help steward that. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, we're going to kind of wrap up here, but I just read, wanted to read Psalm 127 for you because I really feel like this is one of our core values. And I'm going to read it from the beginning, um, even though it, it's, I feel like it's almost like flip-flopped, but it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. 
Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in the city gate. And, you know, this just ties right back into the very beginning and how we used to see children as the asset because they actually helped to, the, the one with the most kids could actually establish the most land. And here, this whole part, the whole first part is talking about, you know, you toil in vain, you rise in vain, trying to build your business, your life, your individual, your city, where the truth is children are a heritage from the Lord and they're a blessing. And you're not going to be put to shame in the city gate or the place of business when your quiver is full of children. So really, you aren't going to be in lack if you have more kids. You're not actually going to have liability. He's saying that when you have children, they're actually going to bring a benefit and a blessing to yeah. your life. And in and fact, that they are the key. They are the key to those things you're <laughs> desiring and trying to build. They are the key to that. Yes. Yes. I mean, my own, I just sat down yesterday for some just personal, personal time of journaling. And I was like, I want this, like, like the things that I feel like I have passion. And I'm like, how do I fit this, this, and this all together in one thing? Well, I can't, but I can raise up all my little arrows to send them into these spheres so that I can have influence into those spheres through what I am pouring into the life of my children. Yeah. And that is how we build the family business and, and, uh, and grow in that blessing and reward. Yeah. So just to, to leave us with a wild and crazy thought, this is a very, very countercultural vision that I'm not even necessarily casting as a recommendation because I haven't gotten my mind wrapped around it fully yet either. But I just want to plant this as a seed and see what God starts to do with it. And I want you to explore this hypothetical situation with me. So um, let's just say that for our family, using our family as an example, we have five kids. Let's just say hypothetically that each of them averages five kids a piece. Some have more, some have less, whatever, but they average five a piece. We now have 25 grandkids. Now let's just say again, hypothetically that each of those 25 grandkids averages five kids a piece. We have 125 great grandkids, 25 grandkids, all the spouses plus kids plus spouses, our family is now somewhere around 170, 180 people. Um, let's go one step further to say that we all choose to stay planted in the same locality, the same region, same city even. Um, we choose to not pursue the best job, the best economic opportunity that presents itself in Houston or Colorado or Tennessee or whatever it is, we just choose to stay planted and keep cultivating our city. And um, we build family, we build our community, and we trust God to take care of us. Um, obviously not assuming that everybody stays put, but let's just say most of us do. Imagine being in a community with 150-ish people all in the same family, all sharing the same values the same mission, the same purpose. Like, I don't know about you in your city, but I don't think there's 150 people in our city all trying to accomplish the same thing at all. 
And so what if we were the ones then, I mean, if you did that for one more generation, now we're like 650, 625, whatever, like it, it multiplies so fast. And all of a sudden we become the major influence in a region. We become the ones running the city council. We become the ones on the school board. We become the ones running the businesses and being the good employees and the good employers. And, and literally we're discipling the city by being the city and being the major gravitational influence in that place. Like it's radical. It's so countercultural to what we have ever known, but um, I mean, like maybe we'll talk about this another day because God actually put this into law in the old Testament through the laws of Jubilee um, because they couldn't get away from the family land. It came back to them every, at least every 50 years. So um I don't know. Like, is this actually part of God's plan to disciple the world? Is family that just stays put and pours into family that then builds community that then disciples the world? I think it might be. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like that this is, I mean, this is a countercultural thought. <laughs> and at the same time, I feel like there's these thoughts and questions like, man, that's big. How do I accomplish that? And yeah. um, I really believe that if you just turn your heart to God and say, you know what, God, I, I, I feel like I've put my family on hold or I've just been doing what I feel like I can to survive. But really, I want something more for my family. Just invite him to come in and to work in your family that he will actually create those better relationships that that love and longing for generations. And then, you know what, even go back to your parents and give them a thank you note for taking care of you when it's amazing what you can unlock when you choose to honor even somebody who hasn't necessarily deserved your honor, that that when you show that to somebody else, like your kids, all of a sudden it will open this grace that they will begin to honor you. It's true. Even if you don't tell them about it because it's a spiritual principle, right. <laughs> you know, true. like stuff happens with those things. So let us just pray for you, um, for grace, for, for questioning culture and for heart, for family and for seeing the generation. So yeah. Lord Jesus, I just lift up every parent who is listening today. God, that if this feels weighty, if this feels like an impossible task, Lord, I pray that you would come alongside and lift that burden. Lord, that you would put deep in our hearts that longing for the generational peace, Lord God. Um, honor towards parents and honor towards children. And Daddy, I pray for a godly authority to come upon these parents that they truly are the one, the captain at the helm of the ship, and that they are setting the course and direction for their families and their family line, for their children and their grandchildren after them. And Lord, that you would endow them with wisdom and with courage and boldness. And Lord, I just pray for, for an awakening and for eyes to be open to what is happening in culture around us, that we would be able to question um, what's going on and is this the best? And, and just because this is how it's done, is that the right thing to do? Lord, and for courage to step outside of the current of culture to establish a new 
a new beachhead on in society, in their city, in their mm -hmm. family to really drive that stake in the ground and say, no, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah. And uh, and daddy, that today just new things are being birthed in Jesus name. Amen. Yeah, amen. Amen. All right, you guys, we will see you next week, Friday, the same time, the same place. Uh, and go ahead and share with friends if this was impactful for you. Yep. God bless you guys.